This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello, hola, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Today, you'll be meeting the woman behind one of the hottest boutique design companies in the UAE. Hers is a Sharjah story, having grown up here in the Emirate, becoming an emerging designer to watch, and now being responsible for the designs of some of Sharjah's coolest hotspots. We meet multi-award winning architect and interior designer, Pallavi Dean, next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse95. How do you create unforgettable experiences through design? My next guest set up her firm with this sole mission in mind and in the process she has created one of the most in-demand and multi-award winning boutique design firms in the region with a journey that begins and grows in Sharjah. Some of the Emirates' most beautiful and exciting spaces were dreamt up at her drawing board. I'm so pleased to welcome to the Life Beat studio the founder and creative director of Roar, Pallavi Dean. Ahlan wa sahlan. Ahlan wa sahlan, Sally. How are you? I'm very well. It's so great to have you. Um, you know, yours is a fascinating story. Amazing. You actually, um, you, your whole story begins right here in Sharjah. It's That's, amazing. Yeah, it's it's really amazing because I always introduce myself as the Sharjah girl. You know, little old me from little old Sharjah, but it's not little anymore. No. It's massive. <laughs> Look at the great things we're doing. It's incredible. So, you know, maybe 10 years ago when I was telling people I was from Sharjah, they were like, oh, yeah, right, Dubai. I was like, no, no, Sharjah. And now everyone's like, wow, you're from Sharjah. It's the cultural capital. So it's got this global recognition you know, now, and I'm so proud to be such a tiny, small part of it. Oh, it's a, a, such a big part of it now, because um, you weren't actually born here. You were born in India, but your parents met here. They did. They fell in love right here in this city in the 70s. And my mom had me in Mumbai in India. And then we moved back sort of when I was three months old. So this is very much my home. Wow. That's so beautiful. And, you know, you as an architect, as an interior designer, you know, where did that love of art and design come from and you know you couldn't be in a more perfect place you know we know that Sharjah is really you know art and design are just in the blood of the city right yeah I would say it's in the DNA of Sharjah really it's funny I always think of it as my father being a big inspiration right he was a closet architect he had a contracting business and he'd go around talking to me about design and how I should really be an architect and to rebel, I was like, you know what? That's exactly what I'm not going to do. <laughs> so I started my design journey, actually, as a graphic designer. I registered right here at the American University of Sharjah in visual communications. And we all do a combined foundation year. So the architects, interior designers, and the graphic designers, same you know, fine arts kind of foundation year. And I remember my professors came up to me and they said, you do realize your work is very three-dimensional. We really think you'd be better suited to the architectural program. And I was like, really, you, you too? Like, do I have to do this now? And I think it was kind of, um, you know, I, I needed someone besides my father to say it to me. And I got into architecture. So I would say it was a little bit kind of through the family history, but also a great nudge from the professors. Yeah, it's amazing. But what is it 
that you love so much about art and design? You know, what, what inspires you and excites you about it when you have to go and design something that, you know, what is it that gets excited within you to do it? You know, it, it's kind of difficult to answer that question because I feel like my process is really intuitive. But of course it's not. I've had 10 years of solid training in design. Mm. What I love about it is, you know, it's it's a little bit selfish because I love to do it. I'm passionate about it. I can't switch off. You know, I'll be here in your studio. I'm noticing everything like it's bombarding my senses right now. But what I feel is, and I genuinely feel this, this is not a cliched response. I feel like I can really make an impact on your day. You spend 89% of your time inside a space. So when I did architecture, I always thought, this is beautiful, it's poetry, but I'm spending so little time observing the building from the outside. If I want to make a real impact, I want to get in there. And that was my big drive to switch to interior design. And you know, like, like I said, our tagline, creating experiences. Your best experiences happen in spaces. And if I could be a small part of that, wow, what a, what an amazing kind of opportunity, right? It really is. And you're so right. When we're, you know, within our workspaces mostly as well, we spend more time there than anywhere else. You really want that place to be inspiring to you, to be beautiful, to be something that brings out the best in you. But, you know, I, I think, yes, absolutely. You're 100% correct. And workplace and commercial interiors is a huge part of our portfolio. But the way I look at it, yes, you spend a lot of time within the space. But, you know, as the CFO of the company or the CEO of the company, you want to make sure when you're spending so much money on the fit out, you're getting some bang for buck, right? You're getting productivity in return. And we spend a lot of time doing evidence-based design. So we really get into the company's culture, understand what they're trying to achieve, what is their kind of corporate culture, and how we can assist in harnessing the best out of their people. And how do you do that? You create a variety of spaces. So it's not your box standard sort of rows of desks, you know, packing people in like sardines. People work differently. You know, I'm an introvert, someone else is an extrovert, and we need different kind of spaces to work. Um, and, and similarly, you need downtime as well, right? So when you look at something as as basic as workplace design there's so much science involved in it there really is there's a lot of science involved in it and I love what you've just touched upon that the different uh, styles that people have so um, how do you design a workplace for example that kind of fits those different personalities. Tell me about that. So we have a unique process. It's called user experience design. It's something like we've come up with, with sort of our co-founder. And <clears throat> what that does is we do a series of things. Number one is we do observation drawing. So we spend sort of a day or a week, depending on the size of the company, sitting in the space and seeing how people move around, what they do. The second part of that process is we do focus groups. Now, this cannot be kind of, you know, mixing upper management with lower management. We do them separately so people can speak freely. They can really express what they're trying to get at. We have also in the past, um, you know, introduced sensors on desks to see movement of people, how often they sit on the desk. And this really helps us understand that not everyone really needs a dedicated desk space. You know, a lot of us like sales staff, think about it. They're out of the office all the time. So this helps us kind of maximize the real estate really and those are just a couple of things that we do mm -hmm. within the sort of our research process I love that we're going to talk a little bit more about that but I want you to tell me about you know deciding then to create your own design firm what was that like I don't think the UAE needed another interior design practice we've got 
plenty of talented boutique practices, big multinationals. I did it because Pallavi needed some flexibility. As a working mom, I just didn't find that balance in the workspace, right? I had to kind of clock in at eight, stay till eight, miss bath time, bedtime. And as a working mom, I was like, oh, why did I have kids if I can't play with them? You know, what is the point? And, you know, I said to myself, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go solo. And I guess I hardly ever see them now, too, you know. But at least it's on my terms. You know, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I leave the office at 3 a.m., 3 p.m. every day. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I've got to be there from three to eight, which is kind of core spending time with them. And then I go back to work. But you see what I mean? I just wanted, it's not that I didn't want to work hard. I wanted to work on my own terms. And by extension, give that to other women who work with me. And we're an all-girls studio. Really? We really are. Yeah, That's I mean, amazing. we're only 10 people. We're not a massive. But still, you know, this is something that it, it's it's a conscious culture within the company to kind of <clears throat> to really support women to do, you know, as you saw, you know, give those opportunities where you could have a family and you could be a designer as well. Yeah. And even more than that, you know, it's like the queen bee syndrome. I've worked with many powerful women in my life and I've never understood why we couldn't just, and I'm not talking about kumbaya, let's just help each other. No, but it's okay to support other women and it's okay to compliment them. And, you know, there's this big talk about feminism. And my take on it is you can't control how the opposite sex thinks of you, but you can control what you think of your peers. And let's not put each other down. And that our culture is very much like a family environment where every, we're not shy to encourage or compliment each other. Yeah. Like, hey, great job on that design. You know, we don't hold that back as a power competition. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just the world's the world, the designs, everything's a better place if you're just kind of yourself. I love that. I love that. We're speaking to multi-award winning uh, designer Pallavi Dean. She is with us in the studio. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about how she created her own design voice, her own design signature. That's coming up on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. We are with award-winning designer Pallavi Dean and uh, we're talking how she set up her own design firm which has become one of the most in demand in the region but also how do you develop your own design voice? This is the big thing because Pallavi, you know, your designs are not only beautiful, they're not only amazingly functional, but you have a design language. You have your design signature. And I want you to tell us about how how do you develop that? How did you do it? You know, that's a great question, Sally, because we often get asked, not just me, but as a studio, what's your design style? You know, are you contemporary? Are you modern? Are you classical? And I just look and laugh at my clients because I'm like, go and have a look at our portfolio online. And it's so diverse. Yes. So we subscribe to certain design principles, right, which is order, balance, symmetry. You know, these are like the basics of architectural language, right? And you follow those and obviously you're going to have a good design. And then each project in itself is a response to the context or to the brief or to the client. For me, I think one of the key things um, in designing, you know, in, in developing my own design kind of voice or my identity has been empathy. And I think that's such an overlooked kind of uh, 
you know, element of design because you don't learn that at university, you don't learn that at school. But if you can't listen deeply to what your client's after, to what the brief is asking, your design has failed. It could be the most beautiful restaurant or the most beautiful office, but if it doesn't function to what the person's asking for, you failed as a designer. So for me, it's empathy, I would say. We need to talk about some of the most beautiful spaces that you've actually designed here in Sharjah and to kind of, you know, to speak to the things that you've just talked about. Um, Let's start with uh, a couple of restaurants that you have uh, designed. Now, Shababik, let's start there. That is so beautiful. Shababik's like my little baby, right? It was the <laughs> first restaurant that we ever designed as a studio, as, you know, Roar. Um, obviously, I designed previous restaurants at my other practices, but never by myself. And Shababik has got such a personal story for me because I used to go there as a university student. I went there with my kids. And then finally, when the client approached us to redesign it, I was like, really, me? You, you, you're giving me this opportunity? This is so awesome. But Shababik has a very local story. It has a very strong narrative. It's not just a pretty restaurant. So if you walk in, you see, you know, we worked very closely with Chef Maroon, a celebrity Lebanese chef. Maroon Shadid, who, you know, he's the one who designed the menu for the restaurant. It's, it's all about him. It's yeah. all about him. And he's such a lovely, humble, engaged guy. And, you know, he went back And he said that the most important thing is that the cuisine's authentic. And Lebanese cuisine has olive oil in all of it, right? And we thought, wow, let's use this as a starting point. So the green became kind of the signature color through the restaurant. We have a petrified olive tree when you walk in. But if you look up above that olive tree, you have a mural that we hand created, like we illustrated that mural. And it's all the flora and the fauna, not just from the not just from Lebanon, but also from here in Sharjah. And we put that together as this mural that, you know, kind of encompasses the olive tree. All the joinery, all the millwork was fabricated right here in Sharjah. And we're very proud to be socially sustainable, right? Of course, we can get the world's best stuff from Europe, and we do that often. But it's really important to kind of encourage and give back to our local community and engage designers and craftsmen here. So I think Shababik has that very holistic story and feel to it. It really does. It is just such a beautiful, um, welcoming, open space. Shababik means windows. And it feels there's this, um, you know, fusion, not just of cultures, because you've got the Khaliji and the Lebanese culture that is really speaking to the design but also that you're bringing the outdoors in as well. You know, that yeah. whole idea of windows is just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Sally, because even the artwork, if you look at the little plates, uh, the plates that are on the wall that we had hand-painted by a French artist, they're windows from different parts of the region. So mm-hmm. Lebanon, you know, like you said, the Khaliji architecture as well, but also when you were talking about bringing the outside in, biophilia is a huge movement in interior design. So as humans, we feel connected to spaces that not just emulate the outside, but have other kind of like natural textures or, you know, natural light, all those kind of movements in design, they are accentuated in Shababik and they work with that concept of biophilia quite closely. You've got that gorgeous wall that is, you know, the the mirrors as well, you know, bringing the light inside in in a gorgeous way. Do you know, I love the little lights that are shaped like birds. birds. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, the, the attention to detail is just so exquisite. 
Thank you. And I think, you know, we take our time with projects, right? We only take on six projects at any given time. Mm. And I'm so happy that I'm finally in a position, um, you know, when I set up my company, it was never about being commercially viable. Of course, that's important. You know, mm. I have a bottom line. But at the end of the day, I don't want to ever stop designing because designing is an iterative process. I can't hand over a concept design to a client and say, hey, this is great. I'm really happy with it. I might look back at it in about two months when we're in scheme design and think, actually, no, I want to tweak something. And I finally have that freedom and that ability to do it, to enjoy that iteration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You mentioned something about being uh, socially sustainable. What does that mean? I know you talked about using craftspeople from the region, people who are, you know, <coughs> Shajanians here yeah. that have, you know, that artistry, uh, you know, the craftsmanship as well and bring their work to places like this. So tell me a bit more about that. So, you know, if you look at the industrial area in Sharjah, you will find pretty much everything. Zaha Hadid, one of the world's leading architects, gets parts of her building fabricated here, right? I mean, I loved her work and, you know, she's not with us anymore. But if it's good enough for her, I think it's so good for the rest of us. So all those, the beveled mirror feature that you're talking about, which floods the space with natural light, that was fabricated here. We worked with a, a facade company based right here in Sharjah to redo all the facade windows. The beautiful German quality slimline windows made right here in Sharjah. And all the, like, you know, the boots or the tables, they were also fabricated in Sharjah. And like I t told you, you know, this might sound like an ad, but I am a Sharjah girl. So it's right. really important for me to celebrate you know elements from where I grew up and it's also because I've been here for so long those are my that's my network those are my contacts yeah. and I didn't grow up in Italy so you know I'm just going to support my community we do we really do we need to to un <coughs> first of all discover for us who didn't grow up in Sharjah and then to celebrate, as you say, to celebrate what is here because it really is extraordinary. We're going to come back in just a moment, uh, Pallavi, talk about Arawi Cafe. That's a whole different concept and gorgeous. Uh, Shira, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about as well uh, a project that is in the works at the moment, the AUS Research and Technology Park at AUS as well. Lots more coming up on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Oh, I tell you what, such a great conversation with Pallavi Dean. She is with us in the studio talking all things interior design. And um, I think it's important to kind of ask you, Pallavi, about, you know, how you design. Where does your inspiration come from? Somebody's given you a project. The design brief comes in. Where do you start? I think, look, the first thing is I have to understand the brief and the context. But for me, the big go-to is to create a narrative, right? And I know this is an overused word in design, but I can't start without a story. So a lot of people that I know in the industry might look at somebody else's body of work. But for me, that's just really limiting. And maybe that's because I'm such a prescriptive person. If I look at somebody else's design, it'll get me to a solution much quicker, but it won't be original or unique, or it won't be my unique voice. So when I start, I always look at fashion, or I look at jewelry design, or I look at like images of fishes and nature. And something from all of those kind of uh, different genres will kind of seamlessly come together and weave into my design story. 
Oh, I love that so much. Let's um, kind of use it as an example. Arawi, Arawi Cafe. You know, this is a, it's, it's another restaurant cafe, but it's also a bookstore. It and, it's, you know, it's it's on the Majaz waterfront. Really speaks to, um, you know, Sharjah as where it's the book capital of the world this Absolutely. year. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, and even when I was growing up, you know, we used to go to Expo Center and we'd buy, like, it was the happiest time of the year for me because I was such a... fair. Exactly. Yeah. So it has many, and Majaz, um, you know, Majaz Park and the whole Buhera Cornish, that's where as a teenager I'd go for my runs and what have you. So again, having this opportunity to design this this bookstore and cafe was an amazing kind of, uh, you know, creative opportunity. And when, when we started with the story, it was like, it wasn't your box standard. Okay, it's a retail shop and it's a restaurant. How do we bring that together? I started with how do people read books? You know, there's that whole, the book is kind of brought together by a spine, which is stitched together. So when you walk through Al-Rawi, you'll see that stitch detail as partition walls. You'll see it as handrails going up. I didn't want the retail to be in your face. So not like, you know, shelves and shelves of books everywhere. It's at subtle touch points. So when you're ordering a coffee, the front of the coffee bar has books displayed within it. When you look up, there's there's this artwork we created of flying books. You know, now I love that. <laughs> now you've seen everything, right? Yeah. Flying books. <laughs> but it's about kind of making the consumer or the customer unconscious unconsciously aware that, hey, look, this is a good book or this is an amazing candle. Maybe you need this in your life, you know. Um, and, and also upstairs, like Al-Ravi is a multifunctional space. People work from there as well. And we have an entire area in the restaurant that can be cordoned off because of these float ceiling moving pivotable bookshelves. So it was very important, first, understanding how people use books. And, you know, there were many things besides the stitching. It was, you know, some people fold their book to remember the page. So there's some folded elements in the retail pods. Some people highlight their books. So you'll see pops of color, you know, unexpected pops of colors in the bathroom or somewhere else within the space. And it just goes back to how does one read a book and bring that story to life. Now, of course, if I hadn't said this to you, you might not have picked up on it. But it was such an important starting point for me as a designer. It's just I love, you know, the detail that you're talking about, you know, uh, dog earing a book, you know, when you fold over a page. That's what I do. I, I do fold- that too. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Folding over the corner of the page. You just, you really, you're watching and you're really thinking about the end user here. Yeah. So next time you're in Al-Rawi, notice the little square pods. You'll notice that there's like a dog ear created on the pod itself. And of course, if you didn't know this, you'd be like, why is that funny triangular shape on the on the pod? You know, but it was to go back and connect back to that story. And it just, you know, it's and in the end, it is incredibly beautiful. It is a place that you just want to be at. And, um, you know, I love even the way that the shelves, it's hard to describe, but upstairs where you've got like the, the shelves, they're like that. It almost looks like pages of a book opened yeah, out. Exactly. Yeah. And look, Sally, let's not kid ourselves. It's about the food at Al-Rawi, okay? The food <laughs> really is, is so good. I mean, I go back there maybe once every two weeks just to have Everything on the menu. It's rude, but the I eat everything. Avocado on toast. Oh, we can't. With the charcoal like, bread. Oh, yes. But, you know, I feel like the design is secondary when it comes to a restaurant, right? Mm. It has to kind of complement and supplement the menu and the food. Yes. So the food's a huge success and you can't let it down, you know, with a bad design. So we did the best we could to match that brilliant menu. A completely different project now. Shira at the University of Sharjah. That was incredibly exciting when they announced, you know, that there would be a Shira uh, uh, um, a hub there. At uh, There is one, of course, at AUS. 
now at UOS as yeah. well. Talk to us about designing that. So Shira is such a brilliant initiative, right? Mm-hmm. And I always say to Najlal Mitfa, the founder of Shira, I was like, Najla, where were you five years ago when I set up my business? Right. And but I, but I see what a wonderful initiative it is and how it's helped so many budding entrepreneurs. And I feel proud. You know, I'm like, wow, I didn't have this, but I'm so happy you guys have that safety net, the network, the access to these amazing people. And Again, to come in and design a space that can support the amazing program. We did it at AUS and it was very success- successful, so successful that they needed an- another you know, kind of space at University of Sharjah. Now, obviously, we didn't want these spaces to kind of be, you know, cousins of each other. Yes, they relate back to each other, but they have their own independent identity. Mm. One of our signature trademarks in commercial interiors is the amphitheater. Yes. We love having that because, you know, it's great for panel discussions, great for getting all the employees in a company together, but also great for sort of, you know, just pitches and presentations. It worked very effectively in Shira, and we introduced a mobile version of it in U. OS so that they can move it away, assemble it, and you know, it gave them more flexibility. Um, and also with UOS, it's much smaller than the original Shira, right? Mm. So it, it's a different kind of space. We have deep work pods so people can get away and do concentrated, deep focused work. It has collaboration spaces, so very social lounge areas where people can come together and have a chat. And that's really where the magic happens, right? Shira is a co-creation hub. It connects people, different people working on different things, and the magic happens happens in those interactions, you know, where you make a cup of coffee, we sit down and chat with someone. So yeah, in a nutshell, it, it was just a very interesting process to create something at a smaller scale. I love that. And uh, also at AUS, we've got uh, the AUS Research and Technology Park. And that's, wow, I've, I've seen the, the drawing so far. It's not quite completed yet. It's going to be completed Q4 next year. Um, we're aiming for Q4 this year, actually, but oh. maybe second quarter of next year. Fantastic. If, if it overruns. Mm-hmm. But that's, again, such a brilliant initiative. Again, right here, you know, in Sharjah. Um, because it's bringing together these massive multinationals. It's bringing together academia and it's bringing together, you know, the top talent that we have in this region yeah. into one space. So last year, uh, the designs for this project and it's you know it's it's two it's five stories and it's got two large atriums within the space it won the best concept of the year in the middle east because we used and it goes back to the story right we didn't start off with just you know here's a lovely office building what are we going to do with it we started off with the narrative which was it's about creating connections and how do you create those connections we designed an algorithm to create like these light structures within the space. I'm not, you know, I am a big advocate of parametric design. I'm not as advanced as some of my colleagues. What's parametric design? Explain that to us. Oh my God, we'd need a whole new session. (laughs) It's computational design, right? It's just software that you use to create and, you know. um, Your AutoCAD stuff. Is, is that it's what it way is? More way, way more AutoCAD. advanced. Way more Software's like Rhino, Grasshopper, right, right, Maya. Right. Um, and you know, like I said, I have colleagues who are far more advanced in this. But right. you just, again, it's about harnessing talent. I don't have that talent. So who can I get together in the team? Because that's what we wanted to do. And we created these complex structures. Easy to build, again, because that's always important to us. But when you walk into this atrium, it's about the future of design Mm. rather than using old technologies. And most of that, again, is being fabricated right here in Sharjah. What does the future of design look like? What are we, you know, what are you thinking about now when you're designing a space like this? You know, I think... 
it's it's going back to the basics, right? The most important thing is that the user within the space feels comfortable, right? Is feeling connected to the space. Now you can use different techniques to do that. Some people can use craftsmanship. Some people can use parametric design. But the future, and I think the past and the present, all of it should be connected to the user of the space. Because mm. if you ignore this individual or these series of individuals, I really do believe you failed as a designer. Because it can be one thing to use, you know. Uh uh, automated or technology in design AI or it's all in there you know yeah. that's all coming up very much but um, you know we still need that human touch absolutely I mean you know people talk about AI replacing our jobs of course they will you know people had a big backlash against the industrial revolution and look where we are thanks to it so I don't think I would never say that oh the future of de- design is you know artificial intelligence and you know parametric design on steroids no, I think it's always going to be different for different people because we all look at design differently. But I think the kind of the groundwork for design should always be the user experience. Let's come back in just a moment with Pallavi and talk about how we can bring a little bit of that magic into our own living spaces. More to come after this. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. We are back with Pallavi talking all things interior design and architecture. She is responsible for some of the most uh, amazing spaces right here in the Emirates. Pallavi, you actually, um, not only are you a US alumni, but you've also uh, been a professor of interior design as well. That's right. At yes. AUS. Talk to me about, you know, how do you go about uh, cultivating new talent? You know, it's really interesting. When I studied architecture, it was 80% women and 20% men in the studio, right? And when I went into the workplace, that, that equation was flipped. It was 80% men and 20% women. And I was like, hey, hang on a second. Where did all my talented colleagues go? And again, when I went back to teach interior design, it was the same. It was predominantly 90% women. And I thought, I need to get these girls into the workplace. So we have a very strong internship program that leads into an employment mm. uh, kind of position. So we kind of support and we, we'd like to think that we create like because it's an all girls studio again, because I knew like a lot of my Arab colleagues at university had this issue about staying later at university when we had to. So I wanted to always create this safe environment where it was all women, you know, helping each other and just bringing them back into the workforce. Because, I mean, think of that talent pool that yeah. we'd be wasting. Um, and also with AUS, you know, I am extremely grateful when I was studying at AUS, I had an academic scholarship. Mm. And I always feel like that gave me all these opportunities that I have today. You know, our company is now recognized on an international stage and none of them, none of that could have happened had I not been able to complete my degree. So for me, it's really important to give back. So we work with AUS, we work with other universities in the UAE, bring in students. And it's just kind of my way of giving back, back to the design community. Yeah. What, what, what do you think is the most important thing that students need to learn? You know, do they have that hunger that you had maybe when... When you were starting out, uh, what is it that you feel like, you know, they really need to, if they want to become great designers, what they yeah. do they need to have? Look, I, I, I will always keep coming back to this word, empathy. Okay, if you want to be a good designer, you got 
to have empathy. When I started out my design career, I didn't have any of that. Mm. I was arrogant. You know, at 22, I walked into my design director's office. You know, I was at Robert Matthew Johnson Marshall with the world's leading architect, Hazel Wong. She designed Emirates Towers. And I said to her, I want to be on your design team and I'm going to design the next tower. And she obviously was a very gracious woman. And she said, all right, darling, you can start with the PowerPoint presentations and the toilets. And I'm so glad I had that reality check early on. And now when I see the young designers, you know, and I, I always like to think, you know, the millennials are the millennials. They are going to feel entitled. They are going to feel like they need the best opportunity. I'm a millennial too. So I get it. But it's about kind of making them understand you don't necessarily need to have the hunger to be a good designer. Yes, I had it and it helped me go forward. But you can have other things, right? If you really want to be famous, great, you know, use that. I wouldn't say that's the best way to go about it. But a lot of people who come into our studio is like, I want to win an award. And, you know, that's when I like, oh, I sigh. I'm like, right. Okay, great starting point. But you know what? If I can use that to kind of motivate them, brilliant I'm going to use it yeah, yeah. so you, you got to work with what you have and, and and they have to understand as well you know this wasn't easy for you this has been quite a journey there have been a lot of challenges here absolutely you know and I talk very openly about my anxiety issues you know it's very hard kind of setting up a business being a mom you know and I also wanted to be a thought leader in my industry right so I'd always do a lot of writing I used to have a column for the national I'd write for some of the leading kind of publications and you know I've always been a bit of a hustler but that leads to you know when you're chasing so many things it leads to anxious behavior. And I think over the last two years, I've kind of got my life in check and thought, no, hang on, you've got to be in the present moment. You know, I do, I meditate every single day. I have a big, strong mindfulness practice. And that's important. And you have to understand that things might fall into place and might come to you, but you don't have to always chase everything. And, and I think it's kind of helped me understand a balance between things rather than chasing after everything. That's a, that's a big lesson, particularly for women, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. The guilty mom syndrome. The, gu- <laughs> the guilty mom syndrome, definitely, it's there. But I want to ask you, just uh, in the last couple of minutes that we have, Pallavi, you know, in terms of bringing a little bit of that magic that you bring to spaces every day, how do we do that within our own spaces? Look, here's the thing. If you haven't had a design education, I strongly recommend you looking at design websites, looking at channels like Pinterest and Instagram, right? To understand what your design style is, what is your design identity? So if you're doing a living room, for example, put together five images that speak to you. And don't just look at the images and be like, oh, that's really pretty. Because, you know, sometimes photography can be very tricky. Look deeper at the image and be like, oh, wait, I like that texture. Oh, the first row is adding a texture to it. Oh, wait, I like the natural light in this image. I like how they've used pink with green in this image. Do you see what I mean? So really, like, try and dissect what it is that you like about that image. And that would be a good starting point. But always start with how you want to feel in a space. And make sure, you know, if you want to feel calm and cozy, think of things that can make you feel calm and cozy. And try and have your designs kind of talk back to your five senses. And that's a great starting point. So if it ticks those boxes, your five senses, you'll always feel happy within that space. 
Are you one of those people who maybe starts off with a one really amazing piece of furniture and builds a room around that? Or do you have different ways of doing it? You know, every project is so different. For me, I always start with a big, because I'm an architect, right? I can't help myself. So I always start with a big architectural gesture and then I work back from there. But very often, you know, if I find a beautiful work of art, the room will be built around it. I love it. I love it. Pallavi, we could be talking all day. This has been so much fun. Amazing story. Thank you, Sally. Thank you for being here to share it. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.